weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Oh, raise your head, for love is passing by. And come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus and live. Now your burden's lifted and carried far away. And precious blood has washed away the stain. And sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus. And like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. And remember. Jesus, fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus, and live. Sometimes the way is lonely, and still is filled with pain. And when your sky is dark, then pours the rain. Then cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, and live. Oh, and when the love spills over and music fills the night. And when you can't contain your joy inside, then dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, dance for Jesus, and live. And with your final heartbeat, Kiss the world goodbye and go in peace and laugh on glory side and fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus and live. Man, fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, and live. Amen. We'll dismiss our children to Children's Church this morning.
this week we'll, ooh, can you turn that down a little bit, Joe? This week we'll celebrate Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is a day set aside to, well, give thanks. And what I've found in life is that gratitude can often be a fickle sort of thing. Because sometimes our gratitude, it only focuses on the physical things. We're, we're thankful for our health. We're thankful for our families and our homes. We're thankful for our financial stability. We're thankful for the things that we have. There's nothing wrong with being thankful for those things. We should be. However, all of those things are subject to change at any moment. I mean, think about it. Health can break. I mean, it only takes one visit to the doctor to find out that the test results came back bad. Families can have significant issues. Loved ones die. Bank accounts can run dry. And what do we do then? I mean, how does that affect our gratitude? What are we to be thankful for in that moment when what we were hoping for, what we were being thankful for is suddenly taking away? And for many this this season... The holiday season and moving into Thanksgiving, it can seem difficult for them because it feels like everything in their world is falling apart. It does feel like their marriage is falling apart. Their loved one is sick or they are sick and it's not getting any better. The finances are not what they thought they would be. Uh, And so with everything crumbling around them, the question is, how can I? How can I be thankful in all things? How can I go ahead and and offer thanksgiving to God during this season and during this time in my life? And what I want to suggest this morning is that certainly we should be thankful for the physical blessings that we have. Every good thing that we have, the Bible says, is a gift from the Lord. However, I'd also like to say that we we not merely focus on those things. That we do not make those the, the sum total of all that we're thankful for. We have to find something. That is greater than our circumstances. We have to find something that is more stable than the stuff that we have in order to be thankful in all things. And today what I want to do is take my time this morning and and show you what we can do so that we can be thankful in all things. Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18. That's page 907 in your pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'd ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. It's a very familiar verse, a very thanksgiving verse. Paul writes, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The title of the message is, In everything give thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Father, we need you so much to guide us. We need you to help us, Lord, to lift our eyes to see you and the great things that you have given us and the great things that you have done. We want in this Thanksgiving season to be thankful for all that you have given us and all that you have done for us. But Lord, you know our hearts, you know our lives. And there are certainly some in here that are struggling right now in various areas of their life. And they find it difficult to be grateful for the things that are going on in their lives. And God, they need their eyes lifted up. They need today for your spirit to strengthen and encourage them and to speak to them in this time. I ask you, God, to fill me with your Holy Spirit today and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you once said or done. Let me be a vessel that you would use to bring honor and glory to your name, to point people to Jesus, that we might that we might go to Jesus and live, that we might hope in Jesus for all of life. Father, 
God, in the way that we respond, help us to take this, to live this out in our lives, and to be different tomorrow because of what's happened here today. We love you. Be glorified in all things, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, as we look at this verse, which is a familiar verse, let me just kind of tell you what's going on in the church at Thessalonica that Paul is writing to. Paul started the church at Thessalonica, and when he started the church, a lot of people got saved. Things went well. However, some Jews came, and they began to stir up trouble, and they began to cause some severe persecution and hardships for Paul to the extent that Paul had to leave. And that was their goal. And in their mindset, what they figured was the church was young. Paul wasn't there very long. If Paul leaves, these people will stop preaching Jesus and they'll all go back to their pagan ways and it'll all go back to the way it was. But that wasn't what happened. When Paul was forced to leave, these people determined that they were going to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. They were going to follow him. They were going to preach his gospel. They were going to talk to people about him no matter what. And that decision of faithfulness it was costly for them because the persecution that started with Paul it spread to them once Paul left. Now, we don't know all that was going on in their persecution, all the things that they suffered. But if their persecution was like the persecution that other Christians at this time suffered, we can make some educated guesses. So, for instance, we could say it is almost certain that they suffered verbal abuse. That was a very common thing for Christians to suffer at this time, uh, for people to make fun of them, to harass them verbally. It is also likely that they suffered physical abuse. Many Christians at this time were beaten for being Christians. Many Christians at this time were heavily they, they had bad things happen to them simply because of their faith in Christ. It is probable that some of them had lost family for their faith in Jesus. It was common at this time for people to convert to Christianity and their family to say, if that's who you're going to be and if that's what you're going to do, I want nothing to do with you and they would leave them. It's likely that they lost their jobs because in many of the jobs that you would have in a city like Thessalonica, part of your job required you to be part of a guild, and a part of the guild was to offer a sacrifice to a pagan god, which the Christians could not do, and therefore they were kicked out of the guild and lost their jobs because of their faithfulness to Jesus. And all of these things had likely happened to them. And all of these things started while Paul was there. They had not let up once Paul had left. And from what we know in the, in the letter and other things, it had actually gotten worse. As time went on, the, the persecution was ramping up. The hardships were getting more and more difficult and there was no end in sight. Now, can you imagine what that would be like? Right? Can you imagine what it would be like to go? I mean, probably we've been through hardships and we've gone through times where things were bad and it felt like there was no end in sight. Think how, how discouraged and overwhelmed you felt at that time. But imagine what it would be like if all of that started simply because you converted to Christianity. That all of the hardships you were now facing, these hardships were for no other reason than the fact that you had devoted your life to Jesus Christ. And really, in a lot of ways, you could make the hardships stop. If you were to leave the church and go back to your paganism, all of those people that were harassing you would leave you alone. But you're devoted to Jesus, and Jesus is going to, to be with you and care for you, and yet it's still hard. It's not letting up, and it doesn't seem to get any better. That's how they would have felt, is the way we would have felt. And yet in the middle of all that they're suffering, the Apostle Paul writes to them, and he says, in all things, or in everything, give thanks. So here they are. They're suffering for their faith in Jesus. And Paul said, be thankful in this time. Be grateful 
in this time. And he not only says that it's to give thanks, but notice what he says. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now think about that. We often talk about what is God's will for my life. Well, what Paul says is one thing that we always know is God's will is that we give thanks. That no matter the circumstances of our lives, we give thanks. This is always the will of God for our lives in Christ Jesus. But how can we do that? Now, I want to point out, Paul does not say give thanks for everything. There are things that happen in our lives that are bad. And they are terrible and they are awful. And there is no way we can be grateful for those things. And Paul understands that. But what Paul does say is, in those times and in those circumstances, you can still be thankful. And this is God's will that you would be. But again, the question arises, how do we do that? How can I be thankful when I'm Sick and dying. How can I be thankful when this will be my first holiday without a dear loved one? How can I be thankful when I've tried hard to be a good spouse and my marriage is falling apart? How can I be thankful when I've tried to to manage my money and still there's not enough to do what needs to be done, much less to do anything that I just want to do? How can I be thankful no matter how hard I try? Everything continues to fall down around me. Well, in order to be thankful like that, we have to look to something that's greater than ourselves. We have to look to something that's greater than our circumstances. We have to look to something that's greater than anything this world offers us. And that's what Paul is pointing us to by saying, in Christ Jesus. You see, there is something that we can always be thankful for. When No matter what's going on in our lives. And that is what Jesus has done for us in our lives. And that's the main thing to understand today. I can always be thankful for Jesus' work for me. I can always be thankful for Jesus' work for me. You know, one of the things that we have to learn to do in life is we have to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. We have to learn to remind ourselves about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. We have to learn to remind ourselves who we are in Christ and the hope that we have in Christ. And when we begin to preach the gospel to ourselves, we have to think about it in in three ways, in the past and in the present and in the future. And what I want to do today is I want to remind you of why we can be thankful in all things because of Jesus' work for us. First, be thankful for what Jesus has done for me. Right? There are things in the past that Jesus has done. And these things are definite and they're settled and there's nothing in the world that will change that. And let me just give you a couple. One, Jesus died for me. And I love this passage in Romans. When we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely uh, for a righteous man will will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I love this passage, and I love that verse. Now, when I think about this verse, I'm reminded of books I read as a kid. As a kid, I read a lot of war books. I'd always wanted to be a soldier, so I read a lot of war books. I read about stuff that took place in World War II and Vietnam, usually. Uh, and always read about infantry soldiers, because that's what I was going to be in life. Now, if you've ever 
watched a war movie or you've ever read a book about the war, you know that there is one, one element that's a part of every war movie that makes it a good movie. At some point in the, in the film or in the story, there is a soldier who, who saves, who gives up his life to save his buddies, right? He, he jumps on the grenade. He jumps in front of the bullets. He, he sacrifices himself so that others may live. And we read those things and we see that happen. And we even hear stories about people who run into burning buildings and, and do things like that. And we think, okay, that is, man, that's amazing. And then we look at this and we see that Paul says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man will someone die. And we think, well, that, well I don't even know what that means because there are, there are literally thousands of stories of people who, who gave their lives for another. And when we look at that in that light, we, we are missing the point of all that's going on here. Right? Because the story here, it is not the picture of a soldier dying for his buddy. Right? It's not the picture of, of anything like that. Let me kind of think about this for a second. Imagine for yourself all the people that you, you know. Right? Probably we know thousands of people. Now, narrow that down to people you love. Probably we love hundreds of people. Now, narrow that down even further to people you would die for. Right? Now, that list of people you would die for is probably pretty small, isn't it? Probably just a handful of people. And if you were to look at the people you would die for, it is people that you know, and it is people that you love, and it is likely people that love you in return. Right? I mean, how many of us, the people we would die for, somebody on that list is someone that hatefully treats us, right? Someone that, that, is, that really just wrongs us at every turn. Do, does any of us have someone like that on the list of people we'd die for? Probably not. See, what we look at here, we aren't seeing the picture of a soldier dying for a buddy. We aren't seeing the picture of a parent dying for a child, child dying for the parent, one spouse dying for another. What we're seeing is, because notice the way that, that we are described First, we are without strength, right? So there's a problem in our lives that we can't fix on our own. That problem is that we are ungodly, right? I mean, apart from Jesus Christ, we are all ungodly. And what that basically means is that we just don't take God into consideration for our lives. We, but apart from Christ, we do what we want to do without any real consideration for Jesus. Who he is, what he's done, what God has said or what God would want us to do. We are also sinners. And a sinner is someone who not only doesn't take God into consideration, but they actively violate God's word. Right? God has said, do not do this, and so they do it. God has said, do this, and they don't do it. Right? And this is, this is all of us before we came to know Jesus Christ. This is all of us apart from Jesus Christ. In fact, the next verse goes on to say that we are the enemies of God. And several places in the Bible it talks about because of our attitude and because of our sinful actions, we are in rebellion against the king of the universe. And that, that is what we were when Jesus came and died for us. Rather than think about this as a soldier dying for his buddy, think about it as a soldier jumping on a grenade to save the enemy combatant. Think about it rather than as a parent dying to save their child. Think about it as a parent going to the electric chair to save the person who killed their child. 
That is a far better picture of what we are seeing here. God did not, Jesus did not come and die for us while we were morally upright, devoted to Him, praising and worshiping Him in our lives. He came and died for us while we were ungodly sinners that had no strength to fix the problem and we actively lived in rebellion against Him. Those are the people that Jesus died for. And what a great thing. Jesus died for us. Not because we were good, but because He loved us. He demonstrated His love that while we were powerless, godless sinners, He willingly gave up His life for us. But not only did Jesus die for us, but Jesus saved me. See, what Jesus did on the cross, it caused something to happen. Paul said, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea of justified is that God has declared a believing sinner to be righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty that that our sins deserve. And then when we believed in him, God accredited Jesus' righteousness to us. He, He declared that we were righteous in his eyes and in his court. Now, what's amazing about this is that when God justifies us, when he declares us righteous, it's not God saying, well, you weren't really guilty. Because we were really guilty. Right. It's not God saying, well, it wasn't really that bad. No, it was. It really was that bad. It's not God saying that what you did wasn't worthy of judgment. No, it really was worthy of judgment. But what God is saying when he justifies us is I will I will count the righteousness of Christ in your place and I will take your unrighteousness and I will place it on the cross. And now when I look at you. I see you as the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. He saved us. He has justified us. Today, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are righteous in the courts of heaven. In God's eyes, there is no condemnation for you because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that is a powerful thought. right? Because sometimes, I think sometimes the, the difficulty with being thankful, is that we wrestle with our sinful nature. We wrestle with all the flaws and failures that we have committed. And we think, I'm just, I'm not worthy. And that's true, we're not. We never will be. But thank God we've been declared righteous. We are holy in God's eyes. Right? Jesus died for you. That's a fact. Jesus saved you when you believed in him. That is a fact. And the circumstances of your life, they don't change that. Nothing that happens, nothing that comes into your life, changes what Jesus has done for you in the past. So no matter what's going on in your life, you can always be thankful for what Jesus has done for you. But not only do we want to be thankful for what Jesus has done for us, Be thankful for what Jesus is doing for me. See, the work of Jesus, it's not just something that's in the past. There there are also things that Jesus is doing for us in the present. For instance, Jesus 
is with me. Jesus, when he gave the great commission to the disciples, he said, go and to teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, I am with you always. You know, the Bible is just filled with promises of God saying to his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When he told Joshua to take the promised land, he said, be strong and have a good courage for I am with you. Right? And over and over again in the Bible, we are told that our God is with us, that our Savior never leaves us. He is always there. So from the, the moment that we first professed faith in Jesus Christ and we called on him to save us, he came to be with us. And from that moment on, he is always there. So no matter where you go in life or what happens in your life, as a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is with you. Now, I understand. There are times where we are not as aware of Jesus' presence as we would like to be. There are times, especially when circumstances are hard, where it feels as though he is not there. However, in those times, we have got to trust in the objective facts, the promises that God has given us. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. And I, I am convinced That as a child of God, we can endure anything that this world would throw at us. As long as we know that our Savior is with us. He is always there. He is omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time. And He has promised never to leave you, nor forsake you. Not only is Jesus with us, but Jesus gives me rest. This is probably one of the most, my favorite passage of Scripture. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I give you rest. That is the the great invitation of Jesus Christ to whosoever will. And in saying, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, he, he, he does a couple of word pictures that are important. The labor, it pictures people who have worked to the point of exhaustion. Like people who have worked to the point where they can't go on any further. And when I think about that, I think about like, when I was in the army, I went to a school to prepare to go to, uh, to go to a ranger school. And they kept us up on the last night before graduation. They kept us up for like 36, 37 hours. And we walked in like 12 miles in, and we were, had to clean our rifles and turn them in. But we had to stay up till 7 in the morning. Nobody knew why. That was just the, the hour that they chose. But they told us, if anyone falls asleep between now and 7... We're just going straight out to PT, and we're going to run five miles. There's no sleep for the wicked at that point. And so we had to stay awake. And that was, I have never in my life been that tired. And and I remember, you could not sit down, because I knew if I sat down, I would fall asleep. And so I was walking, carrying the bolt to my rifle, and I heard a bolt clang to the ground. And I thought, oh my goodness, somebody's dropped their weapon. What a moron. And then I felt my knees clanging to the ground. And I realized I was the moron that dropped my boat. I fell asleep while I was walking. Right? That's how, how tired I was. That, that is the picture of those who labor. They are so tired that they literally cannot take another step. They are about to collapse under, for exhaustion for what's going on. And those who are heavy laden, it pictures someone carrying a burden. But the burden is so great that it is about to crush them. It is about to destroy them. And, and he tells those people, come to me and I will give you rest. One of the things I like about this passage is that Jesus does not define what is labor 
and what is heavy laden. Instead, he leaves it to us. Chances are, you have been in times in your life where you have labored. You have tried to fix things. You have tried to make it right. You have done the best that you can and you feel you can't go on any longer. And no matter what the issue is, you know what it is to feel that labor, that that exhaustion. Whether it's spiritual exhaustion or physical exhaustion or emotional exhaustion. To you, Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. You know what it is to face the pressures of life where you feel like you're about to pop. I mean, you feel like everything is falling down on top of you and you are about to be crushed if something doesn't change. To you, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. He is doing that. He is there. That is why Peter says, cast all of your cares upon him for he cares for you. You know what? Sometimes I think, I think we, we collapse under the the burden, we collapse under the labor because we don't come to Jesus and let him give us rest. That we don't cast our burdens upon him. I think about when we would get new soldiers in the army, guys that would just graduate out of basic training. And guys that graduate out of basic training, they have all the answers. I mean, they've seen Rambo. They've seen First Blood. They, they've been to basic training. They know it all. And new soldiers do a pretty consistent thing. They go to the PX, which has all the, it's like a, you know, it's like an army surplus store on steroids. I mean, everything you can imagine, army, army issues there. And they go in there and they get their, their deferred payment credit plan and they max it out by knives and anything they can carry. So the first time we get ready to go out to the field with a new soldier, we, we check everybody's packs to make sure we've got everything. And they have like 50 pounds of army junk that they bought at the store. And and normally you carry 50 or 60 pounds of stuff that the army gives you anyway. And then they pack that on there. And you tell them, you can't carry all this. Yes, I can, Corporal Ross. Um, I've been to basic training. Rambo carried a knife just like this. I know I can do it. And so you let them carry it. And before long, you're walking out in the middle of Kentucky heat when it's 110 degrees with 300% humidity. And you hear, boom. And you turn around and look, and there they are face down. They've had a heat stroke right out there in the middle of nowhere. And you have to, you know, give them an IV and jab them. And it's just a terrible thing. And every time, it's always because they carried a load they couldn't carry. If they'd listened to somebody else, they could have made it. They wouldn't have had to fall out like that. A lot of times that's how we are. We, we can do it. Oh, I, I know it's okay. I'll, I'll make it. I'll be okay. We're not made to carry those loads. We're not made to labor like that and to be that heavy laden. We are made to go to Jesus and let him give us rest. So we cast our cares upon him. He will give us rest. He, he is at work in all the circumstances of our lives. He is always there. Now, rest doesn't necessarily mean he takes it all away and he makes the problems go away right then. I wish it did. I would love to tell you it was that way, but it's just not. But as someone who has been, who has labored and been heavy laden, I can tell you that when I cast my care upon Jesus, he gives me rest. He takes the load. And while the problems are still there, it's easier to go because I know he's helping me along the way. Jesus is at work in your life. 
He has not given up on you. And then Jesus is also our advocate. And I love this. This is one of my very favorite things. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, the first part of the verse is pretty clear. I write these things to you that you may not sin. What, what is John's goal and purpose in writing First John? That believers would live a holy life. But John lives in the same world that we live in. And John has a sinful nature and he wrestles with it just like we do. And he knows the struggle that goes on inside each and every one of us. But inside every believer, there is a desire to do what God wants us to do. And there is something that pulls us to do what we want to do. Something to do something sinful. And that struggle is always going on. And there are going to be times where we win the struggle and we choose to do what's right. And there are going to be times where we fail in that struggle and we choose to do what's wrong. And really, in a lot of ways, we live with a tension about this from what the Bible teaches us. Because the Bible teaches that through Christ and because of Him, we actually don't have to sin. That we can live a righteous life. At the same time, the Bible teaches that many times we're not going to live a righteous life and we're going to sin. And so we live with the tension of, I don't have to but often I will. So what do we do with this tension? Do we give up in despair? I mean, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to fail all the time, so I might as well not try. No. Do we, do we just say, well, I'm going to fail anyway. I might as well just do whatever I want to do. No. Do we just give up and say, obviously I can't do this Christian life thing. No. What we do is we hold to the truth that Jesus Christ is our advocate. Right? He is on our side. Uh, and that is such a tremendous picture because it pictures a lawyer, a defense lawyer, pleading the case for his defendant. And what this, what I always take from this is that, that when I blow it and Satan accuses me, Jesus is there to defend me. Jesus is the one who stands up and stands for me in the times when I sin. He pleads my case. Now, he doesn't plead my righteousness. And he doesn't plead the fact that I normally don't do these kind of things. And he doesn't plead that it wasn't that big of a deal. And he doesn't plead that I'm normally a pretty good old boy. What he pleads is the fact that he is righteous. And he has given that righteousness to me. In life, you're never going to get past that struggle. You're going to struggle to do right and sometimes you will. And you're going to struggle to do right and sometimes you'll do wrong. When you do wrong, it's going to be easy to get down and say, you know what, I give up. But in those times, Jesus Christ is your advocate. Always. He is always your advocate with the Father. He is always on your side as a believer. He is for you, doing what He can to help you. And these things are, these are truths. Jesus is with you. That is a fact. Jesus gives you rest. That is a fact. Jesus is your advocate. That is a fact. And the circumstances of life do not change these facts. And so no matter what happens and what goes on, we can always give thanks for what Jesus is doing in our lives. And then finally... Be thankful for what Jesus will do for me. 
Right? For Jesus not only has done things for us in the past and is doing things for us in the present, he has promised to do things for us in the future to give us hope. Hope for something we, we do not have. And there were so many things that Jesus has promised to do for us in the future. But I had to limit it just to a couple. One is that Jesus will reunite me with my loved ones. You know, nobody, nobody gets through life without suffering loss. This world, people die. That's just the way it is. I mean, I remember the very first time I, I remember someone dying in my family. It's my uncle, AJ. I was like in the sixth grade. We were home on a snow day. And my aunt called to say that my uncle had passed away. And that was, it was, that was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. I had spent all summer with my uncle at my Granny Doolin's house. And so I was really close to him. And when he died, I, I mean, I had never experienced anything like that before. Since then, I've experienced that many more times than you have as well. Right? We, we go through times where people die and we suffer the loss. But that death, that that moment is not all that there is. There is hope beyond this life. Right? Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them at the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another. With these words. You know, we as believers, we, we sorrow at the loss of a loved one. Uh, for many, this may be the first year where someone very important in your life is not there. Or it may not be the first year, but every year it's just hard. Every year you think about them and, and what they would be doing and how they would be enjoying it. But that loss, that, that pain is not a pain without hope. There is hope in the midst of that sorrow because those who have believed in Jesus have not perished. They have gone to be with him and the day will come where he will take us to be with him and with them. We will see them again. We will be with them again. Right? They, they have not gone forever. They've just gone for a while. There's hope in that. Jesus will reunite us with our loved ones who have gone on before. And then, finally, Jesus will take me to be with Him. This life is not, it's not all that there is. This life for all of us will end at some point. Just as loved ones have died, someday we will be the loved one that dies. But that is not the end for us either. Look at what Jesus said. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may also be. Since Jesus has not abandoned us, he has not left us for good. He has gone to prepare a place and one day he'll come back to get us. I love this passage because Jesus has taught them up to this point about things that's going on with him. Disciples are noticeably troubled by it all. And Jesus lets them know. You can have peace. You can have hope. I'm going away for a while, but at the right time, I'll come back and I'll get you. And where I am, that's where you'll be also. I mean, one day, we will be with Jesus. Right? And when we see Jesus again, 
He's not going to be the meek and the mild carpenter from Galilee. He is going to be the great and the glorious God of the Bible. It will be more along the lines of what Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. Of what you find in Revelation 4, 5, and 6. It will be this picture of Jesus in all of his radiant glory. And he's going to take us to a place that is perfect. But in life, people have tried to create a utopia so many times and failed. Humans cannot create a place that is free of troubles and trials and hardships, death, crime, and evil. Because we take all of those things with us when we go. The place where Jesus is and where he's going to take us, it is a perfect place. There is no sorrow. There is no crying. There is no death. There is no parting. There is no sickness. He is coming to take us someday to be with him. And on that day, on that day, when we see Jesus, no one will think we have wasted our lives Living for Jesus. None of us will regret the decisions we made to follow Jesus. And instead it will be like the old song. It will be worth it all. When I see Jesus. Bravely run the race. Till we see his dear face. When we see him. In all of his glory. In the city that he has prepared. Oh we're going to know. We made the right calls in life. To follow him. To do his will. Jesus will reunite us with our loved ones who have gone before. That's a fact. Jesus will take me to be with him someday. That is a fact. In the circumstances of this life, they cannot undo the promises that Jesus Christ has given us. So no matter what happens in life, what circumstances we face, we can always be thankful for what Jesus will be doing for us in the future. Let's stand as our musicians.